This will be another lesson in the series that I began at the beginning of the year on the subject of why. It's a workbook that many of you have copies of and you've been working through it. Why we believe certain things and why we don't believe certain other things. But this is going to be a sermon that it's, it's, these type of lessons tend to be somewhat of a struggle for me because whenever I preach, I want to be able to preach on a subject that is extremely motivational and inspiring and that people will leave and they'll say, my life is better because of that. This, this built me up in my faith. This strengthened me in my faith. And, and there has been some of that in these, uh, these lessons, but, but much of this really is a defense of what we believe. It's equipping ourselves so that when we're having discussions with others, we can take our Bibles, we can open those Bibles up, and we can have an objective and fair and honest search of the Scriptures and discussion of the Bible on different subjects, and hopefully explain why we believe what we believe and persuade others of what the truth is. And perhaps through our study, through our honest discussion with others, we may find out that we, we need to change. Our thoughts might not be the way that they should be. So I, I say all that as I introduce this subject on why we believe the local church is sufficient. Now, as you mull that thought over, I'll ask, what goes through your mind? Well, there's some here who are on spot, spot on. You know exactly what this lesson's going to be about. And then there's others who are thinking, what, what is he talking about? The, the local church is sufficient. It almost sounds like a, a word that we wouldn't want to use in, in any religious discussion about a matter of importance that is the word sufficient. And it doesn't carry with it lofty ideas, does it? Honey, how was dinner tonight? Did you enjoy it? Well, it was sufficient. <laughs> try, try that one on sometime. When we speak of the local church, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you what I'm going to tell you, then I'm going to tell, tell you, and then I'm going to tell you what I told you. That's the best preaching advice I've ever been given. It's a simple model. Tell your audience what you're going to tell them, Tell them and then tell them what you told them. Well, what this lesson is about is the sufficiency of the local church to do the work God has assigned the local church. Now, if I were to ask you what is the work of the local church, most of you could give an answer to that question. You would say, well, the work of the local church is benevolence, it's evangelism, and it's edification. We sort of boil it down to those three areas. And I believe if you read through the New Testament, you do an examination of the local churches that existed during the first century. And if following the pattern is important, what you'll come away with, and so, and so far as their collective activities, we're not talking about what the individual does, we're talking about what the local church does, what you will come away from that examination, understanding is that local churches... Church of Corinth, churches of Galatia, church of Jerusalem, 
They engaged in three works, benevolence, evangelism, and edification. Now, I said earlier that this is one of those subjects that, that may or may not inspire. Well, as I thought about that, I, I, I was taking myself to the book of 2 Corinthians, which we've been studying on Wednesday night, and, and much of what you see in that second letter is Paul defending his apostleship. And he was defending his apostleship because there were Judaizing teachers who were having an influence upon Christians in the church at Corinth. Now stay with me. And there was a matter of grave importance because the Judaizing teachers were leading Christians to believe that you had to obey the old law as well as the new law. So when Paul would come and he would preach and he would teach in different places, he addressed that issue. Now, can you imagine, my lesson here, why we believe the local church is sufficient. Can you imagine 2,000 years ago, Paul holds a gospel meeting and, and the congregation is advertising the, the, the topic of discussion, the theme, and, and, and it's, it's going out over Facebook. Let's, let's use our imagination. It's going out over Facebook, and people are texting this, and, and, and it's, it's, it's posted on the sign out front, and here it is, why you don't have to be circumcised to be saved. Don't you know that would draw a crowd? <laughs> and yet, that was a matter of great significance because it was dividing brethren. They even went to Jerusalem and, and, and elders and, and apostles and Christians met and they discussed that matter. So it was something that was important. Well, this is a matter of importance in our time because in the world of religion, we always want to make things better. We want to improve on God's plan because we're smart enough to do that. And so what we start thinking about is, well, we've got, we've got benevolence, we've got edification, we've got evangelism, and, and the local church really can't do what God assigned the local church to do. The local church is not sufficient. So what we want to do is create some organization. Yes, let's create some organization that's going to be able to do that same work, but do it on a grander scale. So we call our attorney and we say, hey, would you draft up articles of formation for a benevolent organization or a teaching institution, some type of nonprofit that's going to be able to do the, the work of evangelism, the work of edification, the work of benevolence? And what we're going to do so that we can do this in a better way is we're going to then go out to local churches and we're going to solicit funds from local churches and those local churches are going to, are going to send contributions to this preaching society, this missionary society, this benevolent organization. And now those organizations under the board of directors, they're going to file a nonprofit tax return every year. They're going to be able to do the work better than just the work being done at the local church level. Is everybody with me? It's not why you have to be circumcised to be saved, okay? Well, the local church is sufficient. I believe that. 
I don't believe I have the, the right or the authority. I, I am the clay. God is the potter. I don't have the right or the authority to improve upon God's plan. So let's just see real quickly what that plan is. Well, we already addressed benevolence or providing for the needy saints. If you study through the New Testament, and we're going to look at a few examples, but if you study through the New, New Testament, what you find is a great concern for brothers and sisters in Christ who had physical needs that weren't being met. And so what they did is they did, in fact... They took up contributions. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, Paul wrote to the church at Corinth and he, he encouraged them to take up this contribution for the needy saints in Jerusalem. And they were to do that on the first day of every week. And that required a treasury into which funds were placed. And then they were going to use those funds to help needy saints. In the second chapter of the book of Acts, for example, in verse 44, right after the church was established, very early on, in verse 44 of Acts chapter 2, those who had believed were together, they had all things in common, and they began selling their property and possessions, and they were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. So this was benevolence that was being extended to needy brothers and sisters in Christ. You jump over to chapter 4, and you'll notice in verse 34, there was not a needy person among them, for all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet. There's a treasury. Now, you, you see, if you go back to the time of Christ and his ministry, they were familiar with this idea of a treasury, and they would put funds into it. Who was the treasurer? It was Judas, remember? And, and Judas would steal from the treasury. Now that was about as simple as it got, and they still had an issue. But they would lay them at the apostles' feet, and they would distribute to each as any had need. That's benevolence. They're taking care of needy saints, and that's the pattern. Disciples make contributions... There is a treasury. There's someone in the local church who is hungry or who doesn't have money for clothes. Maybe they lose their job. And so under the oversight of the elders, decisions are made with respect to helping those needy saints. That happens today, and that's happened here. Acts chapter 11. It is possible to go beyond that work that's being done in the local church so that one local church can reach out and help needy saints at another local church. But if we're going to speak, as it were, the oracles or the utterances of God, we need to follow the pattern that they follow. If we're going to go beyond, then we're going to create a human institution. We're going to send funds to that human institution, and we're going to let that human institution do the work. And we're going to basically tell God that the local church is not sufficient. In chapter 11, there was a period during which a need existed in Jerusalem. At this time, verse 27, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. Antioch was north of Jerusalem, but Jerusalem is higher in level. So you see that often it says they came down to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and he began to indicate by the Spirit that there would certainly be a great famine over all the world. 
and this took place in the reign of Claudius. And in the proportion that any of the disciples had means, <clears throat> each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren living in Judea. Now, were there others in Judea who were going to be affected by this famine who weren't Christians? Well, we would certainly assume that that would be the case. Notice it wasn't general benevolence. It was a contribution being sent for the needy saints. And this they did. How did they do it? Sending it in charge of Barnabas and Saul to the elders. So the church at Antioch took up a contribution. Barnabas and Saul took the funds that had been set aside in the church at Antioch. They traveled to Jerusalem. And then those funds were given to the elders to be placed into the treasury so that distribution could be made to the needy saints. That's the New Testament pattern. We read about this also in Romans chapter 15 and verse 26. Now, there are those who would say, but can't we just help anyone? Is, is there ever a place or a time where the local church can help those who aren't Christians? Well, here's where we need to understand something. This is not about failing to help people who are in need regardless of even their faith. This isn't about that. It's about understanding that there's a difference between what an individual can do and what the local church can do. There are a lot of things I can do as an individual. In fact, I can support these institutions, a benevolent institution or a missionary society or some Bible teaching institution. I can support that as an individual. The problem is when we start taking funds from the local treasury to support those same institutions. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 16 is a good place to go to see this distinction. If any woman, 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 16, if any woman who is a believer has dependent widows, so I'm a Christian, and there is a widow, and that widow is dependent on me or dependent on someone, she must assist them and the church must not be burdened so that it may assist those who are widows indeed. So here's a limitation. If there's a limitation placed upon helping needy saints, then there's certainly going to be something to be said about general benevolence. So just think about this in terms of our situation here. Let's say we have a member whose mother is a widow, and that widow is in need. Well, who do you go to first to provide that assistance? The child of the widow. It's his or her responsibility to help. Only if they can't or won't does it become a responsibility of the church. And even then, she has to meet certain qualifications in order to be a widow indeed. So the local church is sufficient. The local church is sufficient to engage in the acts of benevolence. What about spreading the gospel locally and elsewhere? Well, how is the gospel spread? Is it spread through some human institution that 
brethren might get together and create so as to be able to employ preachers and, and do the work on a grander scale? Well, it does involve preachers. In fact, if you look at Romans chapter 10, you'll notice in verse 14, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2, Paul writing to a preacher Timothy really gives the simplest, most direct model of evangelism that we're going to find easily understandable model of evangelism in the New Testament. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2, the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, Paul writing to Timothy, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. It's just each one teach one. And how do they do that? Well, they can do that on a broader scale if they have more time to engage in that work. And they will have more time to engage in that work if that's all they're doing is preaching the gospel. You read about Paul and, and, and the model that he followed. And there were times when, when he would be supported fully by churches to preach. And there were, I think, many more times when Paul was making tents or working in leather and perhaps being partially supported by churches in different places and that's why he writes about working day and night he was working all the time he was making tents by day and 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 he was preaching by night or vice versa but in first corinthians chapter 9 we see how these preachers are to be supported in verse 11, if we sowed spiritual things in you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share the right over you, do we not more? Nevertheless, we did not use this right. Paul is saying, I had the right to receive support, but I did not exercise that right. But we endure all things so that we will cause no hindrance to the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who perform sacred services eat the food of the temple and those who attend regularly to the altar have their share from the altar? So also the Lord directed those who proclaimed the gospel to get their living from the gospel. So the church is sufficient to provide for needy saints. The church is sufficient to spread the gospel of Jesus as individual members teach the laws and as they support preachers to engage in that work. Before we go to our last and final point, I want to make a point here about what's called a sponsoring church. Have you ever heard that? It's where one church takes on a work and then other churches send funds to that one church to carry on that work. We don't read about that in the New Testament either. That's going beyond what the scriptures have revealed and what the scriptures would authorize. It would be like churches getting together in the area of benevolence and, and carrying out that work in, a, in a, a way that's different from what we read in the New Testament. It'd be like pre preaching instead of a church sending funds to a preacher, the church would send funds to a nonprofit that would employ preachers who would then preach the gospel. Think Bible college. Think Bible college. Bible colleges have a right to exist. 
and certainly individuals can support financially those Bible colleges, and those Bible colleges can train preachers. It's just not the way it was done during the first century. <laughs> and certainly local churches would not be authorized to financially support those Bible colleges, even though individuals can. And then the final point is edification. And we'll, we'll not spend a lot of time on this, but, but what is the mission of the church? I wrote an article last week based on John chapter 6, and I titled that article, The Health and Wealth Gospel. What is the focus in the world of religion? Is the focus benevolence for the saints, spreading the gospel, and edifying or building up Christians by the teaching of God's word? We see a great social emphasis in much of the world of religion. Well, in John chapter 6, and this was what the article was based upon last week, we, we read about the miracle of the feeding of the multitudes, and then many continued to follow Jesus for one reason only. They didn't want stronger faith. They wanted food. They wanted to be fed. They came back, not because of the word. When Jesus really began to give them the word, most of them left. You read John chapter 6 and you go toward the end of the chapter and you see that. But in John chapter 6 and verse 26, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, because you ate of the loaves and you were filled. Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him the Father God has set his seal. First Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15. What is the church? It's the pillar and the support of the food bank. No, it's the pillar and the support of the truth. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. What is the work of evangelists, teachers, shepherds? It's the equipping of the saints for the work of service. It's teaching so that we know how we ought to be how we ought to be serving God, how we ought to be serving Christ. That's the work of those individuals that have the different roles within the local church. And we do that through the teaching of the word. Acts chapter 13, we, we read about there being numerous teachers in the church at Antioch. In Acts chapter 20, when Paul went to Ephesus and he met with the elders there, he commended them to the word, which is able to build you up. Food tastes good. Social activity has a place in the life of a Christian. But it's not the work of the local church. The work of the local church is edification through teaching and through preaching and through coming together and stimulating one another and provoking one another to love and good works. And then we go out. And as I heard a preacher once say, through our individual capillary activities, God is glorified. Do good to all men. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10. Do good to all men. Get out in the world. Make a difference. Let your light shine. God wants the work to be done through the local church and through the individual. And the local church is sufficient to equip, equip those individuals to go out and to do that work. That's God's plan. Man thinks he can improve upon that plan. I could go over with you a lot of reasons why I've come to see that God's plan does carry with it 
divine wisdom. The simpler, the more the work gets done, and the more you eliminate the middleman, the more quickly the dollar gets to the person who really needs it. That's all I'll say on that. That's, your, that's the lesson. If you're here today and you've never obeyed the gospel, we're going to sing one of my favorite songs. I'm not sure why this is one of my favorite songs, but it's one that I almost have memorized. Um, there's a fountain free. It's, it's, it's a free gift that God gives us. We have to follow the steps. We have, to, we have to confess our faith that Jesus is the Son of God, repent of our sins, be baptized to have those sins washed away. But at the end of the day, as we say, it's a free gift. If you want the greatest gift that you could possibly receive in salvation, and today is the day that you need that, then we ask you to come as we stand and sing.